Well, if you have your Bibles open, I want you to take your Bibles and open them to the book of Jonah. The book of Jonah. It's in the Old Testament. And you'll find it in the Minor Prophets section. Mine is page 802. If that helps. It's Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum. Those books that you never knew that were in our Bible, they're in our Bible. So, I'll give you a few minutes to find Jonah. Um... Jonah is the one story that is known for the one thing that takes place. And everyone knows about Jonah and the whale. But very few people really understand the message in the book of Jonah. And you're going to find today that two of the best verses in the entire Bible are in the book of Jonah. And you're going to see what those are in just a minute. Uh, and they both have every single thing to do with you and me, too. I mean, everything. And you're going to be thankful for the, these, uh, these two verses. But the book of Jonah is a book that a lot of people dispute. They dispute, did it really actually happen? Could a man or a woman, could a person literally be swallowed by a great fish or a whale? Well, in case you did not know... Numerous stories uh, exist today of people who have been swallowed by whales and live to tell about it. In February 1891, the crew of the whaling ship, the Star of the East, sighted a large sperm whale off the Falkland Islands. After they harpooned the whale... And in its death throes, it swallowed a man by the name of James Bartley. And a day and a half later, his shipmates, who thought he had drowned, found him unconscious in the whale's belly. Bartley lived to tell about it, and his story uh, was published in all the newspapers. Describing his sensations as he slid into the innermost parts of the whale, he said he could breathe easily, but the heat was unbearable. His whole appearance was changed by the ordeal, too, for his neck, his face, and his hands, which had been exposed to the whale's gastric juices, were permanently bleached to a livid whiteness. Now we have a little bit of insight on what Jonah looked like after three days of being in that great fish. But the, you know the ultimate reason why you should believe in the story of Jonah and the whale is not because of James Bartley, but it's because of Jesus. Jesus believed in the story of Jonah and the whale. Because in Matthew 12, 40, Jesus said, For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So it's good enough for me, and I know it will be for you too. Jonah is a short book. It's only four chapters long, it's four short chapters. 
And we know about the highlight of the story. It's the story of the first submarine ride ever in the history of mankind. And it's right here in Jonah. Now, what I want you to do real quick, because we're not going to read, of course, all the verses of Jonah, but I want you to understand what we're going through as we go through it. I want you to see that in the book of Jonah, you can divide up the book into two sides. You can see the book of Jonah through God's perspective, all four chapters, and then you can balance that as looking at it through the eyes of, of man, and you see man's perspective or man's response in the book of Job. It's really fascinating, but it just goes right back to how the Holy Spirit is the one who led the writers who wrote what we call books of the Bible, what we have today. You're going to see it up on the screen. It's a comparison of the two side by side. In the book of Jonah, you will see, first of all, in Jonah chapter 1, you will see uh, God's providence in election. God called Jonah. And then you see man's response to that calling. Rejection. So where you see election, God chose, God moved, and God ordained Jonah for this mission, you see his response to reject. And Jonah chapter 2, from God's uh, providence, from God's viewpoint, it's all about protection. But man's response in Jonah chapter 2 can be seen in his reflection. So you see God protecting Jonah through a very unorthodox way in the belly of a fish, and that is enough to get Jonah's attention, and he begins to reflect on what's, what's taking place. In Jonah chapter 3, you see perfection from God's standpoint. And then from man's standpoint, you see correction. God is there to get Jonah's attention one way or, or another. It's going to happen. It's going to take place. And God wants Jonah to understand that. And that is what it took to get Jonah to repent, to correct. And then in Jonah chapter 4, from God's standpoint, you see God's affection. And as stubborn as man is, you see his response to God's affection by seeing the objection of Jonah. So it's really interesting when you line up both of those and you just look and you just see the comparison contrast. Always trying to get on the same page of God, but always finding a way to screw things up because that's what we do pretty good. We, we screw things up. Now, we see here some of the greatest truths that are found, wrapped up in Scripture, larger than life taking place. Never in the history of Israel and the church, even to this day right now, since this day in Jonah, when this event happened, never has it ever happened on such a monumental uh, platform or work has God done something on a foreign soil with a Gentile type of people, and that's who we are, in a single day, in one day, than what God did on this day to the people of Nineveh? 
that he sent Jonah to. What took place? God used a prophet by the name of Jonah. And you know, Jonah's name means a dove. God was sending a dove to the people of Nineveh. And what they got um, in return was not a dove, but a hawk. Because in the life of Jonah, you see a man who is very fierce, he's very sullen, he's very proud, he has a huge anger issue, and he's just rebellious. But he is brave. And yet, this is the person that God used to send to Nineveh. Why was Jonah all these things and way more when he was sent to Nineveh? That's because the people of Nineveh, they were the Assyrians. And the Assyrians were really, uh, really rough and bad uh, people. They were known for their atrocities. To the Jews, they were tied at number one with being their biggest set of enemies. Jews hated Assyrians and vice versa. Um, so what does God do? God sends Jonah, he gives Jonah this commission, and he says, Jonah, you're going to go to Nineveh, and you're going to proclaim judgment against Nineveh, and you're going to let them know judgment is coming upon you, and it's going to happen very, very soon, and it's going to be by God Almighty because of your wickedness and your sins. God is just going to deal with this city, this magnificent city. How big was Nineveh? Well, you kind of get a little bit of an idea. Uh, theologians and historians put Nineveh at over a million people. And the reason where they get that number is when you look at the very end of the book, and I mean the literal, the end of the last chapter, chapter 4 in, uh, in uh, Jonah, you see God as he's responding to Jonah on how he should not, should I not have had mercy on 180,000 people who do not know their left hand from their right. Well, there's a lot of grown adults that don't get their left hand from their right as far as doing the right thing, but that's more of a reference to children. They don't have the, the ability, you know, to process what we do or what we should be able to do as, a, as an adult. So if there's 200,000 of the children, that's how they come up with that number. This is a big, really big city. And God is sending Jonah to this city to let them know what's coming their way. And that is the, the premise of the book. But Jonah, upon hearing the news, oh, and he delighted greatly and what God was going to do to the town, to the city. But upon thinking about it, Jonah decided, no, not for me. So instead of going down, getting on a boat, going to Nineveh, he goes down, he buys a ticket to the boat uh, that's going to Tarshish, as far opposite of Nineveh as you could go, and thus the story begins of what we know about the story of Jonah. So God sends this wellogram to get Jonah as Jonah is on the boat fleeing what he was called to do to go, and yet he's running 
God asks him to go. God tells him to go. Jonah says, no, God. And then God comes into play. Now, I want you to see that there are three things about the call of Jonah. And these three things about the call of Jonah are the same three things that has to do with your calling and my calling. It's the same exact thing. You're going to see it just spelled out. This has to do with you. And this has to do with me. It had to do with Jonah. What do we observe when we look at the calling of Jonah by God? Number one, we see that the call of God is personal. It's always personal. Look at Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. It says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amatai, saying, Who did the word of the Lord go to? It went to Jonah. It went to Jonah. You know, in Jeremiah 1.5, the Bible says, this is God talking, and he said this, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Y'all, that's a pro-life statement. Before, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. I knew you. How about Jonah 1.1? The word of the Lord came to Jonah. How about John 3.16? You want to see how personal that is? Remove the word world and put your name where that word world is at. For God so loved you that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him will not perish but have everlasting life. The call of God is personal. It is personal. I just saw this yesterday on Facebook. There was a, a, a post and it said, there was a, a comment, a quote on there, and it said, if he calls every star by name, there's a pretty good indication that he's not forgotten yours. Isn't that good? Now, that reminds me of something I forgot. In fact, I told Eric about it. Eric, you don't need to put it up. I'll just say it. You know, the one thing about the book of Jonah that should make everybody in this room very, very proud of very proud of it's in fact it's it's knowing this truth right here all of us as well as jonah it, it really pertains to jonah but it pertains to all of us when god put a calling on your life he already factored in your stupidity oh there we go there we go I was sitting there thinking, man, there's something I'm just missing. It was that point. I don't know about you. I love that quote. You know why? Guilty, 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 guilty. Well, Jonah could say today the same thing. Guilty. And we see that in his life. But God was going to Jonah. God was going to talk to Jonah, deal with Jonah. It was personal. The second call of God in our lives is seen in the fact that the call of God is pointed. It is pointed. Uh, there is a specific plan for your life and for mine. And our job is to discover what that plan is. Look at verse 2. The Bible says, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city. Cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me the call of god is pointed arise go to nineveh what did jesus say in matthew uh chapter 28 
He said, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. The call of God is pointed. God directs every single one of us where we're going. Our job is to discover how to tune into that. How do we know that from our standpoint? Jesus told the disciples in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, He said, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest parts of the earth. The call of God is pointed. It is specific for you and for me. And then we discovered that it's not only personal, it's not only pointed, but it has purpose. Every call of God on our lives has a purpose. There is a reason as to why you are being sent to do what you do. Whatever you do right now in your, in your life's work, you are given, you have been given a purpose. You have been designated. You are the point person to do X, Y, and Z. Why? That is the reason why God made us. That is the reason why God made you. But there is purpose. Go to Nineveh. Cry out against it, as God told Jonah. How about Isaiah 55, verse 9? For as, uh, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Purpose. How about this? How about Psalm 37, verse 5? Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in Him, and He's going to do it. There is purpose. There's always purpose. Now, there's a lot of irony in Jonah's actions, too. His heart was nowhere. And I mean, it was nowhere where God wanted it to be. Jonah did not have a heart that was right. He was full of anger, he's full of vengeance, and he was living his life completely and totally in the flesh. He took great satisfaction in knowing that the Ninevites or the Assyrian people were going to fall underneath the judgment of God. That gave him much joy um, because he knew that they were going to be obliterated. And is it not interesting that now Jonah finds himself on that side with God? Isn't it? Now Jonah is running from God. Um, and he is finding out what it, what it feels like to be underneath God's judgment. God gave Jonah a taste of the horrors of hell. And you know good and well he was uh, going through that and living that out as he is sliding down into the stomach of that whale. And he's still alive. Having gloated over the nasty medicine that God had bottled up for, Nona, uh, for Jonah and Nineveh. For Nona. <laughs> Nineveh. You know, I, I've been doing this forever and I always will mix that up. And I thought, you know, if I get through the day and I don't say, Nino, Nina, Jonah, I'm going to feel, and I just blew it. All right, now I can relax. Having blasted Jonah, uh, making him take that nasty-tasted type of medicine that he was going to give to the people of Nineveh, now Jonah is taking a dosage of that same medicine for himself. 
And this leads me to this reality. What happens to us when we run from God like Jonah did? I want you to look at three things about the fall of Jonah. Because these three things about the fall are three things that every single one of us in this room, if you're going to tell the truth, you would testify, yep, yep, that's true. There are three things about the fall of Jonah. Number one, our fall from God is always, it is always calculated. When you fall from God and you're running from God and you're not doing what God wants you to do, it's calculated. You know what you're doing. A lot of times you know it's not right, but, you know, we start to begin to play this middle of the road. ain't that bad. It's calculated. The Bible says in Romans 6, 23, that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is through Jesus Christ our Lord. Our fall from God is calculated. And it's always on our part doing what we want, when we want, how we want, the way we want, all of that. Uh, the second part about the fall, it's not only calculated, but it is continuous. I mean, you just go from bad to worse. Paul knew this. For in Romans uh, chapter 7, verses 14 through 15, Paul said this, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sowed into bondage of sin. For that which I am doing I do not understand, for I am not practicing what i want to do but i am doing the very thing that i hate it's continuous because we are born in sin and because we're born in sin most of the time we're going to do what we want versus what god wants and then we see it's not only calculated it's not only continuous but in the end it is always costly it's going to cost you it's going to cost you big time. So many times, the only thing that we need to do is to confess, own up, confess up, and move on. But we will fight. We will stiffen our neck, harden our hearts, and we will be determined to do it our way. And the Bible says it's costly. Galatians 6, 7 says this, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. And then in Isaiah 53, verse 6, that puts it in perspective. All, all of us like sheep have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on his son, Jesus. Now, throughout the rest of the story of the book of Jonah, we see Jonah obeying, and he returns to Nineveh. If you want to see what a person prays to God when he's in the belly of a whale, then just look at Jonah chapter 2, and you will find out what kind of a prayer a person prays. Jonah chapter 3, you see Jonah, he is now going to Nineveh. God's gotten his attention, he's listening to God, and now he's saying, okay, let's go. So the whale, or the great fish, whatever it was, there was only two exits in that whale. He showed up in Nineveh. We'll just leave it at that. 
So he shows up in Nineveh, and the Bible says he doesn't waste one minute. He just starts going through the city. How big is the city? The Bible says it took him three days to walk through the city. What was his message? Was it of grace, love, repentance, any of that? No. The whole message Yet in three days you will be overthrown and utterly destroyed because of your sin, thus saith the Lord. That was it. And he starts that walk. And you, you would think, okay, the Assyrians really hated the Jews. The Jews really hated the Assyrians. There's not, that is not a friendly, receptive place to go to. Someone could say to Jonah, Jonah, don't you think going to Nineveh is a dangerous thing to do? Like what people will say to you today, when you know you're about to make things right because of what you need to do to feel right, to get in a right position between you and the Lord, people will always try to talk you out of it. Now, they mean well, but at the same time, if you will remain in your sin, they can feel comfortable with the sin that they're in, and that's always inviting. Someone could have gone up to Jonah at this point and said, I don't think it's a good idea, Jonah, that you go to Nineveh. It is dangerous. Don't you think it's dangerous? I believe that his response would be immediate. I believe it would be loud. I believe that there would be, without any second of a thought, Jonah would have responded by saying, as he reflected on his experience, every single thing that he had been going through to get to this point, I believe that his answer would have been, my friend, going to Nineveh in the will of God is never dangerous. Now think about that. Going to Nineveh, his Nineveh, in the will of God, is never a dangerous thing to do. It is far more dangerous to what? To be outside of the will of God. I believe that Jonah would have just made the comment, my friend, my, uh, uh, my fear, I'm afraid not to go to Nineveh. Let me ask you this morning. Have you gone to your Nineveh? Are you in the will of God this morning? Are you right where the Lord wants you and needs you to be? Where is your Nineveh? Because we're reading about a missionary being sent to a place a long time ago. The moment you were called, you have been commissioned to go. It might be to your family, it might be to your friends, it might be your co-workers. Every single one of us, we are all called go. And it is at this point, at the end of Jonah chapter 3, he's done what he was commissioned to do, and now what does he do? After three days... He kind of makes himself a little place up on a hill outside of the city where he's just going to stand there and wait and just gloat in the destruction that's about to happen. And that's what he does. Remember, there was a lot of things wrong with Jonah's heart on that day. But we're about to see 
one of the most powerful verses in the Bible. As Jonah goes through this town, letting this town know what is about to happen, a really interesting thing occurs. The city repents. It wasn't a Billy Graham message. A Billy Graham message will definitely cause a person to want to consider repentance every time. But a vengeful, livid, arrogant, prideful, racist prophet going through a city where the only message of the city in three days you're going to die and you deserve it because of your sin. That's not a real big come to Jesus repentance type of a message. And yet, the whole nation repents. Now, if you play it out, I'm sure at the very beginning, as all the TV cameras were on this freakish-looking man who was whiter than any person they've ever met in their life, is walking through this city preaching damnation and condemnation. I'm sure they made fun of him. But as time went on, the consistency of his message, y'all, it started to resonate with the nation. So much so that the king of the Assyrians, the king of Nineveh, literally called for a, the whole nation to fast and to pray. The Bible says that the king laid aside all of his garments, the stuff that, you know, that, he, the, that the king wore, and he literally poured ashes on his, on his, <clears throat> on his head. And he just set himself aside. In fact, he even declared no one person, <clears throat> in fact, no animal is allowed to eat or drink but to fast and pray. Now, that's interesting. He not only wanted the people to not fast and pray, no animals. Because in the mind of the king, who knows? Maybe the God of Jonah will turn from uh, the judgment that he's about to bring on us. But we're certainly going to seek the Lord and see if that happens. And do you know that's exactly what happened? And yet, that's exactly what God did. You want to know what the best verse in the, in the book of Jonah is? You want to know what the best verse, one of the best verses, if you have a top five, and you can't do that, there's too many, but let's just go with it. If you would have a top five best verses in the Bible, this is indefinitely in your top five. It's Jonah chapter 3, verse 1. What does it say? And the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. How many of y'all here today would willingly admit you are thankful for the second time? If you're not thankful for the second time, you're toast. You're just, it's not going to go well. I am so thankful for the second time. I'm thankful for the third time. I'm thankful for the fourth time. I'm thankful for the fifth time. I am thankful. Jonah did not at that moment recognize how thankful he should have been. 
the, the, it's the second time. See, God does not have a desire to condemn. God does not have a desire to destroy. God does not have a desire to smite. God does not have a desire to remove. These are the images that we put up because we listen to people who don't know God well, so they misquote his character and his name. Or we will just read the judgment that God gave Jonah, and we stop there. We don't finish reading everything. Why? There's a reason. There's a purpose. It's, it's pointed. And yet, here is Jonah. He sees the nation, and they repent. And a really interesting thing takes place. In Jonah chapter 4, verse 2, and now we're in the last chapter, the nation repents, God doesn't follow through, and in chapter 4, you see this pity party argument between Jonah and God. And it's in this, we see the second verse in the book of Jonah. If you leave with anything today, you leave with this verse. Jonah chapter 4, verse 2. Jonah is talking to God. Remember, here's Jonah, angry, bitter, stooped in and just uh, bitterness, and he says to God, For I knew that thou art a gracious and compassionate God, you're slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents concerning calamity. And there you go. Why did Jonah say, Nope, I'm getting a ticket on the love boat, I'm going to Tarshish. Why did Jonah go in the other direction? Because he knew that the God that he served, you want to know what the heart of God is? Here's the heart of God. He is gracious. He is compassionate. He's slow to anger. He's abundant in loving kindness. And he relents concerning, concerning calamity. And here is Jonah saying, I knew it. I knew if you sent me there, there was a chance you were going to pardon their sins if they repented. I knew it. And the Bible says in Jonah chapter 4, as he's sitting on this hillside and he's just sitting there waiting, hoping that God would come through and wipe him out, God doesn't do it. And then God, now this is funny. This is a little bit of humor you see on God's part. You know what God does? God grows this plant. I don't know what kind of plant it was, but it grew pretty fast. And the Bible says the plant was so big that Jonah took shade underneath this plant. Because it, uh, uh, it was very, very, very hot. It's kind of like right now. You go outside today at 2 o'clock outside. It's, it's hot. And Jonah is underneath this plant. And as he's waiting, nothing happens. And after a day, the plant dies. The Bible says... God sent a worm to eat the plant. Now, that's interesting, too. God could have just killed the plant. It's no big deal. Why did he send the worm? Well, I don't know. Why does he use us? I don't know. He could get it done any way he wants, right? So he sends a worm, eats the plant, and now Jonah is so mad that the plant died because he has no shade. He tells God, just kill me. Talk about a diva, Jonah. 
And what do you see at the end of the book? You see God coming to Jonah. And he says to Jonah, Jonah, do you really have a good reason to be this angry? How many times have we said that to our children? Or your spouse. But do you really have a reason to be this angry? And Jonah, you would think, this is God talking. He's going to come to his senses, right? You know what he says? He says, I have a good reason. <laughs> okay, I have a good reason. And then he says, even if it costs me my life unto death. Then the Lord said, you had compassion on the plant for which you did not work, which you did not cause to grow, which came up overnight and perished overnight. Should I not have compassion on Nineveh? the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know the difference between their right hand and their left, as well as many animals. What do we take from the book of Jonah? From the book of Jonah, we gather the call of God that's on all of our lives. Students, you're going to go back to school. That's your Nineveh. You're about to go to Nineveh. Now you can run and be just like everyone else and you're going to miss your call. The people that's in Nineveh, they're going to do everything that they can to get you to ride and run along with them. And that's going to lead to your fall. And we've learned about the fall. Mom and Dad, you're here today. You've been called to go to Nineveh. you got to go. It's time to go. Your Nineveh may not be my Nineveh. We have all been sent and commissioned to go to Nineveh. Every single one of us. And we keep one thing in mind. Oh, so-and-so would never get saved. I mean, God's been wanting me to talk to him for so long. That person, their heart is so hard. Guess what? Last time I read the Bible, I read that part that says, For I knew that thou art a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant loving kindness, and relents concerning calamity. Or why don't we fast forward a few thousand years to the book of Peter, when Peter said uh, that I know that you do not delight in the death of the wicked, but that all should come to repentance. That's the heart of God. You're being sent. I'm being sent. What we need to do is to remember, not, don't, uh, don't wait for a whale to have to come to get your attention. Step out in faith, be willing to go, and go because we serve a God who has our best interests at heart, and we serve a God who wants to use us, for you have a purpose. Let's pray. Father, we just come before you this morning. God, we want to thank you for your word, and all that you have told us about Jonah and his message and all that he was commissioned to do. Father, as we come before you this morning, God, I know that there are many in this room and they're thinking right now what that Nineveh place is for them. Lord, would you just really make it clear to them what that Nineveh road trip looks like? God, I pray and ask that you would just help us to recognize that if we're willing to go, it doesn't matter if we feel qualified or uh, prepared. 
Uh, Lord, we, we, we buy into so many excuses. I don't know what to say. I don't know if I'll just make it worse. All that, God, I know it's more caught than taught. And I know, Lord, that our actions and our words, when we step out by faith and try to do that which humanly looks impossible, that's when you come in. God, that's what, that's what faith is all about. And I pray, God, that today you would help all of us here in this room to see what that Nineveh place is for us. And, God, that we will begin the steps of going there right now. We're not running back to Tarshish anymore. We want to go forward. And I pray, God, that you would help us to do just that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.